Hey, um, we're, we're starting a new sermon series, and the first picture will depict our sermon series. Charles, if you have that. Um, it's the seven last words of Christ on the cross. Seven last words. And the artwork is, by the way, I, I just want to point out here as I'm looking at this, uh, this was drawn last week by one of our own, Frank Ballou, who's an art, artist and art teacher, and he's right over here. Frank, want to come in and... no. You don't have to come up here. But also, just wanted to also point out, both in cover every week, Shin Hee Chin, another art teacher, um, an artist, uh, she, uh, she designs the, the bulletin covers as well. So we're all about using the gifts of the church to uh, proclaim, build the church, and proclaim the gospel that way. So thank you, Frank and Shin Hee. Um, as Jesus was dying on the cross... He spoke these seven last words. The first three words took place in this first three hours on the cross between 9 a.m. and noon. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Today you will be with me in paradise. Dear children, or dear woman, here is your son. Um, And then from 3 o'clock to, um, from 12 to noon, darkness came upon the land and there was silence. Jesus didn't utter a word. And then finally at 3 After six hours of hanging on the cross, Jesus spoke the last four words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst, or I'm thirsty. It is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. So we'll be looking at these seven words during the season of Lent. And this morning we'll be focusing on the first from Luke 23. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now this first statement shouldn't surprise us because after all it reveals the heart of the Father. You know, he sent his son to reconcile the world to himself. And so this was the initiative of God the Father sending his son uh, to bring forgiveness to the world. Uh, And so that's why Jesus appealed to his father. Father, forgive them. Instead of I forgive you. Father, because the initiative was with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together to bring forgiveness. Uh, Because of Jesus' death, though, uh, God was... He's inviting all of us into reconciliation with himself. It's pertinent for us. This word forgiveness in Greek uh, means to release or let go of or do not hold this sin against them. Jesus, though, could have rightly cried out, Father, consume them, wipe them out for this injustice. And according to a contemporary of Jesus, the Roman philosopher Seneca He said that those who were crucified would normally curse everybody, including their mothers and fathers, as they hung on the cross. It was that painful. And Jesus also could have cried out for comfort for himself. He could have prayed for strength to endure. He could have prayed for the legion of angels to come and rescue him from this injustice. But he didn't do that. Instead, he prayed for others. He focused on others. Father, forgive them, not focusing on himself, but for the mercy and forgiveness of others. And some would suggest that he did so over and over again because the word forgive in the Greek is in the imperfect tense, which means um, it's a continuous action. Perhaps the onlookers only heard Jesus verbalize, Father, forgive them one time, but perhaps throughout his entire passion, He was saying, oh, forgive them, Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Those who are scourging him, those who are spitting in his face, those who are uh, mocking and ridiculing him, 
Um, he, who are the them? The them included the religious leaders, the Pharisees and experts of the law, the teachers and the priests who had spent their waking hours scheming the death of Jesus. For months, they wanted to eradicate Jesus from this earth. Um, the Roman guards who mocked and scourged and beat him and drove nails through his hands and feet. The them would have included the crowds who passed by and mocked Jesus and ridiculed him. The, the them would have included the disciples who would abandon Jesus, betray him. Um, I, all, I always get angry when I read through these gospels about the crucifixion of Jesus because I get so ticked. Jesus, do something. You know, annihilate these people. Do something. Um, and I get so mad and angry until I realize that Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. No one made him go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. It, it, it dawned on me. It always dawns on me every time I read this. My anger turns to um, gratefulness when I realize that if I were the only person who had ever sinned and all of you were perfect, then Jesus would be hanging on the cross and I'd be worshiping him and thanking him because Jesus would have come for one he loved us that much. So how do people respond uh, to this first word when we hear this? You know, it's common. It's, we hear it all the time. Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do. But how do we respond? We can respond one, in, one of five ways. The first three ways will be unhealthy ways to respond. And the last two that I'll speak about will be healthy ways. Uh, the first response would be the response of license. Someone who might say, of course God forgives my sins. He forgives everyone. After all, God is a benevolent old man in the, in the sky with a long beard, and he's loving and gentle and kind, and, and everyone's going to go to heaven. Everyone believes everyone who dies, their loved one, they're automatically in a better place with God because God believes in universalism. Well, the that's like the attitude of the rich, spoiled kid who gets everything that they've always wanted, a sense of entitlement. Of course God forgives me. He owes me forgiveness. He loves everyone. Um, well, the truth is, though, yes, Jesus is loving and he's generous and he's gracious and kind, but he's also a just judge. And any good judge must punish wrongdoing. For example, in Kansas City, the three gunmen who were involved in the shooting this past week um, they're going to face a judge soon. And of course, because we live in Kansas and Missouri and we love everyone, we vote in judges who are kind and benevolent and, and they're generous and loving, of course they're just going to say, oh, that's okay. I know you didn't mean it. You're free to go. There'd be an outrage, right? Even in Kansas and Missouri, Chiefs fans, because we want our judges to be just. And, and that is how God created us to think as well. From the very beginning, God declared that the consequences of our sin will result in death. And that's just. Adam and Eve, if you eat of this true, a tree, you will truly die. Um, in the law of Moses, the soul that sins will surely die. In the New Testament, uh, Apostle Paul says, the wages of sin is death. And because we've all sinned and fallen short, we all deserve death. Thankfully, Jesus paid the penalty uh, for this death for us. Uh, but we need to accept this gift if we're to experience this freedom that, and forgiveness that he offers to us. If we, though, reject this gift of love, that, of Jesus' death on the cross, continually, day after day throughout our lives, then we will ev eventually experience not only 
physical death, um, not only spiritual death on earth, in other words, broken relationship with God, we won't know God, but we will experience physical death, which leading to eternal death, which the Bible calls hell. That's the result. And we might ask, how can a loving God send people to hell? And the simple answer is he doesn't. We send ourselves by continually rejecting him throughout our lives. You know, there are churches on every corner in America, it seems, and Christian radio stations and, and Christians everywhere and every business almost. And, and you know, people have heard the message of the gospel, but they may not understand it or they may reject it over and over again. Ultimate consequence will be death. God will say to it, we will say either to God one throughout our lives, Lord, this is Sunday, may thy will be done. Tomorrow will be Monday, Lord, may thy will be done on earth. Or one day when we face God in heaven, he will return the favor and say, well, thy will be done. And those who continually reject will head to an eternal separation, eternal death. But why does the sentence have to be so harsh? Our sin is not that bad. Justice demands punishment. Uh, justice demands that punishment must fit the crime, is how the uh, saying goes. The punishment must fit the crime. So, a guy named Brown said, the size of the problem can be measured by the degree to which one will go to remedy it. In other words, if your grandchild or child spits peas in the toilet, forgets to flush then you may give them a time out. That's the consequence. Um, if, if your middle schooler comes home uh, an hour or two late, then you may get, ground them for a couple nights. If you speed down Main Street and you go 32, then the police officer should, should be gracious to you. No, you'll get a speeding ticket because your crime fits the punishment. I'm not speaking from experience. Yes, I am. All right. If you, if you drink and drive, and, and if you're out of control and you plow into someone's home, then you'll probably get some jail time. If you intentionally drive your car into a group of school children when they're released from school, then you'll probably be sent to print prison, maybe even for life. If you are a serial killer, then you will probably get the electric chair. Matt Slick said, every time we sin, we are offending an infinite and eternal God. This is incredibly significant. The reason sin is so bad is not so much because of the one committing the sin, but because of the one sinned against. An infinite, pure, holy, and perfect God. Our sin is far worse than we could ever imagine. And the only remedy for our sin is the death of God's perfect son if we're to experience forgiveness and eternal life. That's how bad our sin is. But we overlook it and we're, you know, licensed or, or we have license to sin or whatever. All right. Uh, second response is uh, the response of legalism, which is, of course, a, an attitude of pride, I think, isn't it? It's one who says, of course God forgives me. I'm a good person. I do good things. I earn my salvation. I earn my forgiveness. God accepts me because I'm good. Well, the truth of the matter is none of us are good. 
We all stand guilty before a holy and righteous God, as we've already talked about, not only in our deeds, but in our thoughts and in our words. Uh, Matthew 5 says, but I say, Jesus said, he said, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject, subject to judgment. As Clarence Darrow said, famous lawyer, he said, everyone is a potential murderer. I have not killed anyone, but I frequently get satisfaction out of obituary notices. Uh, Matthew 5.22, if you call someone an idiot, uh, you are in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Matthew 12, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. We are guilty before a holy and righteous God in our actions because we're selfish and we act selfishly and pridefully and, and you know, lose our tempers or you know, on and on. We're all guilty. And then, uh, but Jesus died not only for the bad things that we've done, said and thought, but we're guilty for the things that are left undone that we should do. James 4 says, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. For example, how many of us can say that we've sought God above all else? We've sought the kingdom of God first. Check. Wrong. Guilty. How many can say that we've loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Guilty. How many can say that we've always put the interests of others before our own? Guilty. How many can say that we've constantly loved our enemies? Guilty. We stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. So Jesus went to the cross for our sins of commission, but also our sins of omission. Jesus said, forgive them, and we all need forgiveness. Third response is the response of loss, a loss of hope, which will lead to shame, or shame will lead to loss of hope, I should say. Someone who says, I am not good enough for God to forgive me. My sins are just that bad. I don't measure up. I'm undeserving of his love. If you only knew what I've done, then, of course, God knows everything, so how can he forgive me? Well, the truth is, God's grace is greater than all our sin. Our sin is not too big for God to forgive. Philip Yancey wrote, Jesus forgave the thief on the cross, didn't he? Knowing full well that the thief had converted simply out of fear. He would never study his Bible. He would never attend a synagogue or a church. He never made amends for those he had wronged. He lived his life as a criminal. And he simply requested, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus promised, today you will be with me in paradise. He did nothing to deserve Jesus' forgiveness other than to say, I need you. It's another shocking reminder that grace doesn't depend on what we've done for God but what, what he's done for us through Christ. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. There was a time in our lives when we didn't know or appreciate that we were sinners in need of forgiveness. I went through most of my childhood years not really understanding that fully. Um, it wasn't until, again, my senior year that it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And Jesus continues to show his love and love for us by pursuing us even while we're running in the opposite direction. Even for his enemies today, for those co-workers or family members or friends who can't stand Christians, Jesus continues to pursue them through his spirit and, Lord willing, through his church. And I know that because I hear stories in Islamic countries, and I've said this many times, of Muslims who have all these dreams by the thousands of a man meeting them in a white robe. Who's the man in white? Have Have you seen the man in white? And as they come together and discuss this, Eventually, God reveals to them that it is Jesus himself communicating that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way. And many in Islamic countries are coming to Christ, and the church is growing in Islamic countries. But also in in countries like China, who many would consider to be our arch enemy on earth. But the greatest growing church... Of, of Christ is happening in China. Jesus continues to pursue uh, those who are Chinese, and, and that is awesome because the church knows no um, borders, no uh, um, different ethnicities, if you will. It includes all. Um, and then many of you are thinking, what do you think of the borders? I didn't mean that, okay? I'm not thinking that. Uh, The fourth way we can respond, though, is a response, and this is the positive way, a response of liberty, freedom, a response of gratitude for for Jesus setting us free. In his book, Becoming Whole Person in a Broken World, Ron Lee Davis tells of this uh, violently insane girl who was admitted into the hospital. In Europe, she was raised by um, parents who cursed, and they fought, and and they were alcoholic, they were abusive, and by the age that of 12 years old, um, saw them wrestling. They, mom and dad were wrestling, and one inadvertently shot the other and killed the father. This girl was raised filled with pain and hatred, and her mind snapped. But her fantasy life, which she retreated into, was no less violent. violent. Uh, she would scratch, and she would scream, at just about anyone, and so the attending physician recommended that she uh, be treated under what was known as catharsis, allow her to vent anger toward another person. Today, sometimes we pound pillows, you know, and get our anger out on the pillow, but back then, um, they were able to do so on someone who was volunteered, and a nurse volunteered named Holda, and Holda, for two weeks, went into the girl's cell for about an hour, and the girl kicked and screamed and scratched and beat her and until she was finally so exhausted that this little girl went and crouched in the corner like a frightened little animal. After each assault, though, Hulda, being bruised and, and beaten and hurting, she would bend down and sit next to the girl, hold her, and say, Do you know that I love you, darling? And she kept saying, I love you. I love you. And during the time of this treatment, this girl would soften and she would, in tears and with affection, she'd respond and be set free. Jesus offered forgiveness to all who are trapped in lies, in fears. And we'll read in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that a revival broke, broke out in Jerusalem. 
amongst the very people who just days earlier had been cursing Jesus, many of them. Many of them who were shouting, crucify him, scoffing him, saying things like, who does this fool think he is hanging on their cross? Um, he thinks he's the Messiah? I'm not going to follow him, you know. Who are the fools who, who got duped into believing that this man was the Messiah? Surely I'm not duped, and you know, that type of thing. But what would transpire 50 days later? We read in Acts 2. Let all Israel be assured of this, Peter preached. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. All because Jesus prayed while he was hanging on the cross, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Many people today who you work beside or who you know, uh, they don't know what they do. They're still in darkness. They don't appreciate their need for forgiveness. Some may even continue to reject Jesus and scoff him and mock him. But Jesus died for them as well, to offer them forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But only those who respond to that gift of love will experience it. For God so loved the world, but whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Not perish, but have eternal life. And we know that biblical belief is much more than mental belief. The devil mentally believes in who Jesus is, right? But we know that it's a dependence. It's, it's a reliance upon, sort of like I, I could have for all my life believed that aircraft can fly in the sky. I have evidence of it right there. See it? I see the planes fly overhead. I can lay down on the grass and say, I believe, I believe. But until I really hop on a plane and allow it to transport me from point A to point B, I will truly not experience biblical belief. What that word means. It means to rely upon, trust in. And so this is what it means. Whoever believes in Jesus, trusts in him as Savior, will have eternal life. A Christian attorney felt convicted after reading the word to forgive, to pardon um, many who owed him great amounts of money. Uh, and so by certified mail, he sent out 17 letters to those who had great debt, and he was going to forgive them totally. But one by one, the letters were returned to the office. 16 of the 17 came back unopened and unsigned. Only one came back, or only one didn't come back. So only one of the 17 experienced that forgiveness, that, that pardon, that release from debt. All the others said they feared that they were um, letters uh, to sue them for not paying their debts. Well, how profound is that? You know, we owe a debt that we cannot pay back. It's so enormous. We've sinned against a holy and perfect God, and yet God is willing to cancel it completely. But we, many people don't accept it. They don't open the certified mail we call the Bible. They don't understand that he came to set them free from this debt. One thief did, and the other did not on that very day of the crucifixion. Jesus' cross had two sides. On which side are you? It goes. One cross where a thief died in sin, 
the other cross where the thief died to sin that day, and the middle cross where the Redeemer died for sin. One experienced it, and the other refused it. We're given that same, um, same option today and same invitation. We'll one day meet that thief who responded uh, to Jesus and said, will you remember me? And, and we'll meet him and he'll be rejoicing in heaven because he'll be set free forever, overflowing with gratitude for his liberty that was great, uh, graciously given to him. For he was once lost, but now he is found for all eternity. Which leads to the final response. This is a healthy response too. If we've truly been set free with liberty, then we'll respond in love. Jesus forgave us, and he says, now forgive others. Um, during the Super Bowl, how many saw the Jesus Gets Us commercials? Yeah, that was interesting. Well, if you haven't seen on, on social media, there's a huge debate as to whether this commercial is appropriate or not. Um, it, it portrayed loving people washing the feet of others. Uh, who would be considered the opposition, uh, people that some would label as blasphemers or enemies or perverts or persecutors, worldly, they would consider them enemies of the, the truth. Um, I don't care what you think of, of the commercial. It's irrelevant. You can have your own strong opinion about that. But I would simply ask, as the church, the world is watching to how we're responding they're listening to our conversations. And should we be attacking each other, or ta then I, I think it's inappropriate. I choose to give those who came up with the commercials the benefit of the doubt for many reasons. Uh, first, Jesus said to his disciples about this guy who was healing someone in Jesus' name, but they weren't among the 12 disciples, and they were complaining, what should we do, Jesus? He said, hey, if they're not against us, then they're for us. Leave him be. Right immediately after that, James and John, they wanted to call fire down from heaven uh, to kill the Samaritans. They are the known enemies of the Jews. And Jesus harshly rebuked James and John. So that informs me of the attitude that I should have. Furthermore, one of the many contributors of this um, He Gets Us campaign is a very conservative Christian um, from the family who opened up Hobby Lobby. They're the ones who gave the most money to this campaign. Um, I believe that their intention was simply to reaffirm what Jesus has already taught us. Love and serve others, even your enemies. Get down on your hands and feet and knees and wash the feet of others. Well, some will re reject the gift, some will accept the gift, but all are to be invited. Uh, the images in these commercials would have been no less scandalous or no more scandalous than and in Jesus' day. You know, Jesus was criticized continuously by the religious people for eating with the sinners and tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes and those who are Samaritans and the pro-government tax collectors and the anti-government zealots were among his people and the unclean lepers and drunkards and murderers. Those who believed 
to be under God's divine wrath, namely those who are born blind, the blind man or, or the, one, the woman who is bleeding consistently or the lepers. Of course, they, they have, they're heaped with sin over and over. They're deserving their just punishment, and those are the people that Jesus went to and loved. They were the ones who responded to him over and over again while the religious people over, uh, looked on and criticized I've recently read many blogs and articles that criticize the commercials. Interestingly, um, the criticism comes from people on the left accusing uh, those behind the commercials as being uh, deceitfully trying to gather more voters for the Republicans, and especially MAGA voters. So they're getting highly criticized from the left, but they're also getting equally criticized from those on the right, accusing them of these commercials being woke. They're, there's a hidden agenda. Jesus would never wash the feet of people like that. Like what? Like Judas, maybe? Well, he did. Would Jesus only wash the feet of the righteous and those who are deserving and those who are deemed worthy? Of course not. But that's how we think. He gets us, but oftentimes we don't get him. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, he didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick, he said. Jesus came to love his enemies and teach us to do the same. Jesus came to take on the lowest form of a servant and wash the feet of others, and he taught us to do the same. And yet we get all riled up about a commercial like that. Um, again, it doesn't matter Many people would rightfully say maybe they spent way too much money on this, money that could have been used to feed the poor. Or maybe they, they, they could conclude he, they could have used better pictures and portrayals and images to convey to everybody. You know, that's true. But what I'm saying is God uses everything. My, my RA, my resident assistant, when I was a freshman at Wheaton College, had a great impact on my life. And he led us into all kinds of ministry as freshmen. And he was won to the Lord by the movie Jesus Christ Superstar, which was considered blasphemous when it came out. But Jesus used that to win my, my array to the Lord, to impact my life for ministry. Um, Billy Graham said, it's God's, God's job is to judge. And he's a really good judge. You don't have to be concerned about sitting on the, the judgment seat. You don't have to do that. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict others. We have one job description. It's our job to love. Get down our hands and feet, hands and knees, and wash the feet of others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he said. And this reveals the heart of the Father for us to forgive and that we've the recipients of forgiveness. So, in conclusion, how will we respond? We return to Frank's picture here. Um, will we respond with an attitude of license and entitlement? You know, of course, God forgives me. He forgives everyone. He loves everyone. Will we respond with a spirit of legalism? Um, i got to earn my forgiveness. I am good. I'm a good person compared to those people. So, of course, God's going to forgive me. Um, or will we respond with a heart of shame, um, a loss of hope? Uh, my sins are too big for God to forgive. Those are three unhealthy ways to respond. The two healthy ways are liberty, 
of grace, of love, or, or liberty of grace. You know, I've been set free, and then in response, because I wasn't deserving, I'm going to love those who are not deserving as well. I'm going to love them. I'm going to get down on my knees, and I'm going to wash their feet, whatever that looks like. Um, that's appropriate. Not, not my enemies. Yes, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Today's a season of Lent, and Jesus has called us to heart of repentance, and I'm the first one to confess that I fall very, very short of this, this attitude and this command. Uh, I, I can get pretty angry. I can get pretty retaliatory. I, I can get pretty, hold grudges. I can forget the extent of God's love and forgiveness toward me, and, you know, I need to do repentance. And this, this heart of repentance is not just for salvation. It's a daily thing. Throughout our lives, Lord, continue to grow me, continue to change me, continue to teach me, Lord. Um, continue to allow me to be willing to change. We get so stuck in our ways that we're unwilling to change sometimes. Repentance means I'm a lifelong learner. I'll be different next year, Lord willing, than I am this year. My mind will have changed in some ways. That's what repentance is. So let's go to God in conclusion in this last uh, song together with a spirit and a prayer of repentance. Uh, Lord, as the worship team comes up, uh, we do, uh, I ask you by your spirit to soften our hearts and reveal to us ways that we need to turn away from our sinful ways of thinking and action and, and repent, turn back to you. Lord, change us during this season, I pray. Change us today. In Christ's name, amen.